Welcome into the Locked On Knicks podcast. As promised, we are going to be joined today by Ricky O'Donnell of SB Nation. Alex, we had him on a year ago. He was excellent. We had him back, and he did not disappoint. Yeah, and we talked about a lot, starting with uh, his his NCAA basketball video game simulation that he's done to uh, sort of pass the time and entertain folks during COVID before sports had really started back up again. Uh, then we talk about his favorite fit for the Knicks, which is a player that I think us and a lot of people really hope falls to the Knicks. Uh, and then talk about sort of like the evaluation process of of what Ricky calls like armchair uh, draft evaluators, you know, the draft Twitter types versus, uh, you know, professionals in the NBA, how smoke screens play into the information that we get out of the draft and, you know, uh, try you know how teams try to sort of suppress value of certain players and stuff of that nature we talk about what it might cost to trade up and ricky actually says that it might be less than you think to try to trade up in this draft because it seems like everybody wants to trade down and then finally we talk about the volatility of this year's draft how it might be one of the more unpredictable drafts uh, because of the teams at the top and the sort of parity and talent since the 2013 draft, when Anthony Bennett shockingly went number one overall to the Cavs. So we're going to talk about all that and more next with Ricky O'Donnell in part one of our conversation with him on Locked on Knicks. You are Locked on Knicks, your daily New York Knicks podcast. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. And I think we see Willis coming out. There he comes right now. You are Locked On Knicks, and today we are joined by Ricky O'Donnell of SB Nation. Uh, Ricky, you, you cover college basketball, I know, you cover the draft. Um, you I, I always see on Twitter, and I, I gotta admit, I haven't done the full deep dive, you are constantly posting about your uh, NCAA basketball video game team. I believe it's Western Illinois, I believe you've been like running Dynasty mode for like the last uh, 20 years in game time. Um, I, I've never been quite sure what's happening there. Can you Can you explain that to me to start off here? Yeah, I'll do the quickest explanation possible. So basically, when the pandemic hit, I was a sports writer with no sports to write about. So I just had uh, kind of a half-baked idea to start a video game dynasty with College Hoops 2K8, which is the last College Hoops game made by 2K Sports before the lawsuit shut all that down. And I, my idea was to take the worst team in the game and see if I could make them a powerhouse without actually playing any of the games. I just do the recruiting and like set the coaching strategies and then watch the simulated games. Uh, we'll do that for the NCAA tournament. So uh, to my shock and surprise, people actually enjoyed reading me uh, play about video games. So I've been doing that for the last few months. And yeah, it's been pretty cool. We're near 25 of the dynasty and... Uh, pretty fun as, as someone who spent uh, hours with friends uh talking about the various uh version of like the ncaa football game the different recruiting strategies you could do and how like 
contingent on like what level of difficulty you set it on, like what worked as a pitch, what didn't, and how you could just like accumulate five stars at teams that would never get them. Um, I really respect and enjoy that. Again, this is this is totally off topic to what we're going to talk about, but do do you think we're ever going to get those games back? Because I feel like with football, you hear every few years that there might be some light at the end of the tunnel, and then like it never seems to actually happen. Yeah, it should happen eventually, right? But I couldn't give you a date of when it is going to happen. Hopefully, you know, sometime within the 2020s it will happen. But, uh, yeah, it's been very strange playing a video game that was made 13 or 14 years ago with Greg Oden on the cover as the most (laughs) recent uh, guy to leave college that year and to have people still follow along. So it's been fun to do. So if I may may interject on that, um, the main issue with that is the licensing because – Basically, the NCAA said, like, oh, we don't want to, we don't want to run into these constant disputes where we're licensing out the likenesses of these players, but not their names. So, like, you would always run into those situations where, you know, be it uh, NCAA football or the NCAA basketball games, you would have, like, like the, the one that first comes to mind is, like, Johnny Manziel, like, was, you know, they had so much licensing, you know, that they were doing, they were selling number two Texas A&M jerseys with football on the back, you know, like for Johnny football. And it was like very obvious that it was based off of him. And, you know, when they would do video games, they would have these facial likenesses of the players in there, but then they would just call them like center number 20, you know, or like point guard number five, whatever. And with everything that goes on with the NCAA and player licensing, not paying players, stuff like that, um, I think that some of the players started talking about potentially trying to sue the NCAA or something uh, over that. And and all I know is that there was just something where the NCAA finally said, no, we're not going to give out this license anymore because we, you know, can't license out the players likenesses and then potentially have them come knocking on our door and saying like, you're using my face, you know, to make money. So, cause that's not supposed to be allowed under the NCAA's rules either. Um, Just like the players aren't allowed to license themselves out to make money, which is a stupid rule that honestly, if they would just abolish that rule, you wouldn't have probably had the the law passing in California. Now that's kind of like, like blowing up college sports with, you know, they're, they're now saying that payers need players need to be paid in California. Um, so yeah, it's a, it's a whole thing. I I don't know when it's going to come to be, but like the NCAA is slowly, but surely now due to the strong arming of laws and everything else, finally being forced to be like ethical to their players and let the biggest ones profit off themselves potentially. And and when that happens, then you might finally see more college sports video games. But until then, I don't think we will. And here's how wild just the game that I'm playing is. So it has all the rosters right from the 07, 08 season. DePaul had this player named Dar Tucker, whose first name is Darquavius. The game has every single name uh, like loaded into the game. So you could change it and then the announcers will say, oh, there's Darquavius Tucker. Like they had the announcer record everyone's real names in addition to having their hometowns and their heights and weights and all that. So yeah, the likeness issue is basically at the heart of the whole matter. And that's why there haven't been any college sports video games, uh, you know, since I think 2013 or 14 was the last football game. So, yeah, it's been a while and it, it kind of sucks. But, you know, it is what it is. I'd actually I'd rather just have no college sports games than have the players getting exploited. So yeah. <laughs> at least there's that. Uh, all right, <laughs> hopefully, so, when, hopefully when they come back, it'll be the quote unquote right way. Yeah, uh, for sure. All right. So we don't, we don't have a date 
on a future game. We do finally have an official date on the NBA draft, unless I'm completely misremembering it, which would be bad. <laughs> I think it's November 18th. And uh, Ricky, we brought you on primarily to talk about uh, what the Knicks are going to do at different picks. And the logical place to start is at number eight. Just a reminder, today's episode is brought to you by Built Go. Built Go makes you the best you at whatever you do. If you need to break through a wall, maybe it's a mental wall, physical wall, you can break through it with Built Go every day. Built Go comes in easy to take one and a half ounce packages so you can fit in your briefcase, you know, for before your presentation. You could put it in your golf bag to power through the back nine or you just put it in your pocket and use it whenever you need a, a kick of energy throughout the day. It is the best workout gel on the market. And I can attest, I used Built Go. You know, they were nice enough to send me some to give a try. And I used it before my workouts. And I've been putting up better weights on my workouts since going back to the gym than I was even before COVID. And it, you know, really helped me get the energy that I needed. And on top of it, they taste good. And they're kind of enjoyable to eat. They don't make my stomach feel weird, even if I have them on an empty stomach. They don't give me that crash feeling, you know, that you would get from like a five hour energy or a, or a Red Bull, that sort of thing just gives you nice, clean energy into your body that helps propel you, you know, with your workout and, and do better. And on top of it, you know, they taste really good, too. They come in three flavors, peanut butter, honey, chocolate, coconut and chocolate mint. The consistency of Bilko, you know, when you're when you're drinking it out of the little pouch or eating it, whatever you want to call it, it's kind of like honey itself, you know, and honey is one of the ingredients. So it makes sense. But it's, you know, just kind of a it's it's like a gel. It's exactly what they say with the workout gel and uh, really easy to ingest. And you can just kind of like, you know, have it on your way to the gym. You know, I, I usually drink mine on the way to the gym. And, and then by the time I get there, it's all in my system. And I'm already starting to feel kind of peppy. And the reason for that is that Built Go combines energy gel with collagen protein. Collagen protein is fast absorbing. So it gets into your system fast and it's easy on your stomach. And it's got 15 grams of collagen protein in it, which is a really nice little kick to not only give you energy, but also give your body something to draw from while you work out. It's also loaded with good stuff to ignite your workout, like beta alanine, B3, honey, and a kick of caffeine. And it gives you a huge dose of vitamins B6 and B12 to keep you going strong. On top of it, the collagen protein uh, promotes joint, soft tissue, hair, and skin health. So it really even makes you look better on top of making you feel better and giving you more energy. So if you're interested in picking up some Built Go, visit BuiltGo.com and use promo code LOCKED and you'll get 20% off your next order. Again, use promo code LOCKED for 20% off at BuiltGo.com. Let's go. So Alex and I have essentially, because we haven't had um, a Knicks game now in, in almost eight months, we, we've spent our time uh, primarily just going back and forth on who the Knicks should take at eight. We've had on a variety of draft experts. We've heard a variety of different opinions. And that's sort of the beauty of this draft is that there isn't really a clear-cut correct answer at any pick. Um, but at number eight, right off the bat, who's your favorite fit for the Knicks who could potentially be available at that spot? Yeah, I think there's a few different guys they could take at the top of I guess my board for the Knicks, it's that way for my Bulls, too. I would love Killian Hayes if he's there at number eight for the Knicks. Uh, it seems like it's he's one of these guys who has a pretty big difference of opinion between what armchair scouts like us think of him and what the NBA guys actually think of him. So it's really hard to like get put your finger on like where Killian Hayes' stock is at this point. 
Uh, in the first mock draft that the Draft Express guys did after the lottery was set, they had him going number 14 to the Celtics. And, uh, you know, I think a lot of people view him as like a top three overall prospect. I know I do in this draft class. So if you were there at eight, I think that certainly the Knicks, much like the Bulls, like need an offensive initiator. They need someone who can just like run the offense in the half court. I think out of all the players in this draft, Killian Hayes is the best chance to turn into a high-level offensive initiator besides for LaMelo Ball. Uh, and, you know, it's very possible that he is still there at number eight. So if he if he's there, I think that he would probably be the, uh, you know, the, the best match of in terms of, like, positional need and the best overall talent available. Yeah, I, you know, I kind of think so, too, and I think a lot of Knicks fans feel that way. I, I do think that there's a decent chance he's going to be off the board. I almost feel like... I mean, tell me if you think this, because it's funny when we talked to like um, Jonathan Wasserman, too, he says he, he you know, influences his uh, draft takes on like a lot of what he's hearing, you know, so he tries to inform his mock drafts and stuff based off what he's hearing from scouts and that sort of thing. And I just feel like there's it, maybe correct me if I'm wrong. I almost feel like the NBA talent evaluators and stuff are trying to like downplay Killian at this point, because I feel like some team is trying to hope that he's going to come to them, but maybe I'm just kind of manufacturing that in my head because I kind of see the same things that you do where I'm like, I think this is a really smart kid. I think he's, he's got really good size for a point guard. Um, Maybe not like, like next level insane wingspan or anything, but I think that he's, you know, he's built well, he has a good enough wingspan and he's built well enough shows good defensive instincts you know, on offense needs to work on his right hand, you know, but like what, what 18, 19 year old doesn't have to work on their offhand, you know, it's, that's a thing that you work on at that age and nobody is really a master at that age. Uh, but his left hand, you know, he, he throws some passes that are like mind bendingly good with his left hand, you know, like no look type stuff, like touch passes, all kinds of things. And his scoring ability, like seems to be growing. He has good jumper form, everything else. It just kind of, Everything about him screams like, I don't know why so many teams would be disinterested in him. And, you know, I see some mock drafts having him go as low as in the teens. And I'm like, that just doesn't seem right to me. I I think that he's realistically one of the four, three, four, maybe if you want to go as far as five best prospects in this draft, without a doubt. Um, Do you feel like there's any sort of maybe smoke screening going on with him? Um, And, and, you know, there's sort of another player, too. On the opposite end of the spectrum, like Obi Toppin, I feel like all of like draft Twitter and, you know, to, to your term, like the armchair scouts, you know, nobody seems to really like Obi Toppin that much in that community um, because you look at his defense and, and the areas he's probably going to struggle in the NBA and say, like, how is he going to possibly be a huge difference maker in the NBA? Uh, whereas I'm seeing a lot in a lot of mock drafts and stuff, you know, that are factoring in like what, you know, NBA scouts are saying it's like. Oh, so and so team in the top three, four, five is super high on Obi Toppin, and like he might go there, and some team might want to trade up for Obi Toppin, like blah blah blah, and, and it just kind of it's kind of confounding to me sometimes the the sort of uh, ravine that exists between like what draft Twitter and like NBA scouts are thinking about certain players, and it makes me wonder like how much of it is smoke screening. Like, do you generally get that impression about some guys? Yeah, I don't know. There's, I think, like, from my opinion, Hayes should go in the top four, right, of this draft, because I think, like, his talent necessitates that. But there's also something to the idea, and this, like, circles back to Obi, 
It's like, while we might view Obi Toppin as, like, sort of a combustible pick or, like, as a guy who might not be able to play, like, high-level minutes in the biggest games, uh, I also think in a lot of ways, like, if you're an NBA GM, Obi Toppin is probably the type of pick that doesn't get you fired. Like, for one, uh, I think he's he's already projected to go high. So it's not like you're like going outside of the consensus to take him. If you take Killian Hayes at three or four, you know, maybe your owner or whoever's evaluating the basketball operations is like, well, this was like a non-consensus pick. They better be right about this. Whereas Toppin, I think is projected to go in that range. He was the best player in college basketball. I also think that Toppin is going to be a productive player, no doubt. I mean, I think he's going to put up big scoring and rebounding numbers. I think that he's probably going to be an exciting player that fans like because he, I think, you know, his first year at Dayton that he actually played, he led the entire country in dunks. Uh, as a second-year player, he was the best player in all of college basketball. So while we could view Toppin as like a flawed guy who like, oh, can he stay on the floor in the NBA Finals? It's like the team that's going to be taking him in five, six, four, whatever it is, they're so far away from that that it's sort of like, should they even be considering whether or not Obi Toppin could be on the floor deep in a playoff run uh, when they're taking him, when they just have so much other work to do? Like, if Cleveland is going to take him at number five, you know, I think it, it is legitimately up for debate whether or not they should be factoring in how he could perform on, like, you know, deep in the playoffs. And so I really think that Toppin is one of those guys who, like, won't get you fired. Because I think he'll put up good enough scoring and rebounding numbers. He'll be an exciting player. You don't, you know, it's not like a hot take to select him in the top five because that's widely where he's projected to go. With Killian, it's really interesting. Like, I think that there could be something to the fact that there's, like, some smokescreen sort of depressing what people think his overall market is. And at the end of the day, it only takes one team to take him, right? So, like, if the Pistons or the Knicks want to take him, that's all, that's all it really matters. Uh, you need one team to take him, and then it's over. So uh, I think it's possible that, you know, there's been some, like, league-wide smoke screens with him. But uh, I also think that, like, there's probably something to the NBA's knocks on him. Uh, certainly, like, the offhand criticisms are going to continue to follow him. And really, like, when you're taking a guard in the top five of the league, like, you could look in the last, you know, five, ten years of the draft— you typically want someone who's like a really explosive guy off the dribble, like great first step, explosive around the basket. That's not really Killian's game. Like Killian has a much more nuanced game and nuanced impact, I think, uh, than beyond just like the the broad level terms of athleticism and explosiveness. Like I think Killian's great strength is just like as a pick and roll guard. He's a really good decision maker. He's able to read the floor. He plays with so much composure. He doesn't feel rushed, even though. Uh, he's one of the younger players in this draft class. I believe he just turned 19 years old. So, uh, And then there's also you know, the, sh- the shooting knock on him, too, where he shot pretty damn well off the dribble, showed major strides this past year playing with Ohms, shooting off the dribble. But off the catch and shoot, he was like in the 25th percentile of his league, which doesn't really make sense. We think that it's easier to shoot off the catch than it is off the bounce, but uh, it hasn't been for Killian to this point. So, you know, when you look at the catch-and-shoot troubles, I think teams wonder, like, if he doesn't stick at point guard, uh, what sort of impact can he have off the ball? Now, I think all those questions have, like, relatively easy answers because I think he's going to be an impact defender who can guard a variety of positions. So he already has, like, a, sort of a grown man's body. He's strong. He's long, as you guys both mentioned. I think he's a really smart defender at the nail in terms of being able to position his body to sort of take away passing lanes between two different players. 
in my opinion, like there's not many better team defenders in this draft than Killian Hayes showed he could be with Ulm. And then offensively, I think, you know, he's going to end up being a, a pretty high-level point guard. I, I don't know if he's going to be, uh, you know, a top 20 overall player in the league, like superstar-level guy, but uh, everyone always wants comparisons during this time of year. So I like to compare him to someone like Malcolm Brogdon. And obviously it's not a perfect comparison because Brogdon put up a 50-40-90 season primarily playing off the ball with Milwaukee, shifted into more of an on-ball role this past year with the Pacers and I think he was averaging like 20 or 21 a game uh, by all-star break time. And he was battling some injuries too, but Brogdon had a really good year. Not, definitely not like the quickest, most athletic first step style point guard, but uh, he's strong as hell. He's a smart decision maker. He's got a floater. He can, you know, sort of know when to try to move the ball or when to try to score himself to put pressure on a defense. So that's kind of like my, uh, I guess, 10,000 foot view, very rough comparison for Killian. But Uh, I think that, yeah, it's like it's easier for people like us to go against the consensus when our jobs aren't on the line. Like, God knows I would be in big trouble if uh, my employer docked me for having wrong opinions about the NBA draft over the last six or seven years that I've covered it. So uh, it's a it's a strange thing. And maybe it is smoke screens or maybe maybe it's more like, you know, pressure from ownership and. Uh, pressure to at least get a player who they think can perform and isn't going to be considered someone who's like uh, outside of the consensus. Yeah, I don't know if he's he's quite as quick um, off the dribble and if he'll ever be quite as good as as getting to the basket. But um, someone mentioned the idea of a a better defending uh, Goran Dragic in regard to killing, which is as someone who's who's a huge Goran Dragic fan. And obviously uh, the playoffs made the nation uh, huge Goran Dragic fans. uh, That would be that'd be really great. But the guy in this draft who does, um, I mean, not necessarily in terms of just like physical explosiveness, but does have kind of that flash skill at the point guard spot is LaMelo Ball, like um, along with Luka Doncic and Trey Young, probably going to be like one of like the three best passers drafted. And like, I don't know, maybe the last decade is too far. I'd have to go back and look at it. But he's in that type of category. Like he'll walk into the NBA from day one and be one of the 10 best passers in the league. And, And probably eventually, I mean, if he hits his potential, um, maybe the maybe the single best passer in the NBA. Obviously, there are a lot of other questions there, but for the Knicks, it's this very relevant thing because they're a team that's been looking for a point guard for two decades now, hasn't had anything close to a consistent elite option in um, well over 15 years at this point. And it's a draft that, uh, unlike the majority of them, it, it's fairly plausible to get into the top three. The Minnesota Timberwolves and Golden State Warriors don't seem to have a guy they love at one or two, and the guys they do seem to love, you'd think they'd be available a couple of spots back. And because of that, there's been uh, this great long conversation that we've had again and again on this podcast, Ricky, um, about what the feasibility is of trading up and what the price should be. So I'm curious your thoughts on that and what the differing prices would be for the Timberwolves, Warriors, and, and maybe even the Hornets, because it's plausible that LaMelo falls to three, because those teams have vastly different rosters, vastly different expectations for next season. And it's fascinating to see how the Knicks would interact with that. And for Alex and I, um, I, I think the the main focus of any hypothetical trades has been something along the lines of sending Mitchell Robinson to the Warriors, which, and it's this interesting thing, because I think for most people who aren't Knicks fans, they would say like, all right, you could do that, but then you also got to throw in the eighth pick 
and you got to throw in um, like maybe uh, the Dallas pick the Knicks have in 2021. And then the Knicks fans' perspective on that is like, do you even want to trade Mitchell Robinson for Lamelo Ball? Like this is like the the player that's made us the happiest out of anyone in, in a few seasons, and that I think a lot of Knicks fans um, see as like a future depoy candidate, maybe a future All Star. Um, so I know I just threw a lot at you, Ricky, but I guess what are your overall thoughts on the Knicks potentially trading into the top three to go uh, try and get LaMelo Ball? For sure. I think that, uh, you know, it's like in a draft where everyone wants to trade down, what what's it going to cost to trade up? So the Knicks obviously have two first round picks. They also have number 27. So if you want to package eight and 27, how far up could you move? Uh, you know, would a team like Charlotte take that at number three? It's tough to say. I don't know. I think that Mitchell Robinson would be a lot to give up. And I think, you know, hopefully uh, Tom Thibodeau can help Mitchell Robinson develop and play up to his potential. So uh, it, it's a really interesting hypothetical for the Knicks. I think that LaMelo Ball would be an absolutely great fit there. You can look at the way sort of the role of the point guard position has changed in recent years in the NBA, where like now this past season, I think LeBron and Luka were one, two in the league in assists per game. Whereas before, like, you would classify both those guys as, like, small forwards or power forwards, not traditional point guards, certainly. But LaMelo's one of the unique prospects where he has the size of, like, your big wing offensive initiator, but he has the the natural vision of a point guard. So I think he'd absolutely be a great target for the Knicks if they want to go up and get him. In terms of the package that would require to do it, I feel like the most important thing uh, in this draft is just going to be flexibility, right? Like all these teams or a lot of these teams probably want to trade down. So the question is, what's it going to cost to trade up? And then if it's too high, if the Knicks need to give up, you know, the the Mavs pick and Mitchell Robinson and the eighth pick, I would think that's quite a bit to move up to get LaMelo Ball personally. Uh, but, you know, maybe the cost won't be that high. And I think that front offices are just going to have to be flexible in terms of like assessing the situation, of is it worth it for us to give up this package to move up? Because I think uh, as the board changes, like we have no idea what the Timberwolves are going to do at one. We have no idea what the Warriors are going to do at two. And there's been so many, I feel like, so many leaks and rumors regarding uh, their interest with those picks that like everyone's pretty much just flying blind at this point. I don't think there's been any like real significant intel hinting uh, at what they're going to do. So I think you just got to be flexible. Like if the best value play is moving up, Nick should definitely move up and try to get LaMelo Ball. I think he'd be a wonderful uh, sort of first piece for this rebuild. I guess they got a couple other pieces they want to build around. But at least with uh, Rose and Thibodeau in there now, LaMelo would be, I think, a really good first piece. But you only want to do it if it's advantageous in terms of value. If it's not advantageous in terms of value, you either stick at eight or maybe you even trade down from there, accumulate some more assets, uh, get some more picks. I think that that would be a good route for the Knicks to go to. So it really just comes down to uh, is there going to be value in the trade from the Knicks perspective? And uh, I think that having an open mind and being flexible is going to be the biggest thing for a lot of GMs in this draft. Yeah, you know it's funny. I one of these one of these questions. I I do want to get into like your initial mock draft that you put together after the lotto. But I want to pose just another sort of general question to you. Do you think that this is maybe the most wide open draft that we've seen since? I think the last time that the first few picks were in such like uh, were such a mystery. Um, I think maybe. 
13. I, that's what I was going to say. I think maybe it was 2013 with Anthony Bennett where the Cavs wind up taking Bennett number one, and he was mocked like seven or eight, I think, in most mock drafts that year. And that sort of took everybody by surprise. Um, this year feels kind of similar, but also it's it's so strange in the fact that the two teams at the top of the draft are teams that, without a doubt, want to be contending for the playoffs next year. And you could argue have the talent to do it if they're able to sort of turn these top two picks into some more immediate talent than what's available in this draft, which is more or less like, I mean, I, I think you could safely say like Golden State and uh, Minnesota, if this was last year, they'd be like, oh, screw it, man. We're just going to take the top two guys and we're going to see what happens with, you know, Zion Williamson and John Morant because they're so talented. Like, you know, Minnesota would probably be like, wow, now we can have, you know, we can have D'Angelo Russell, Zion and Carl Anthony Towns. Whereas this year, it's like, I, I don't think any of these, you know, any of the two teams at the top that presumably want to go for the playoffs next year, see anyone that they could reasonably take with the draft capital that it requires to be the number one or number two pick overall in the draft that would give them, you know, value equal to taking them at that draft spot right away. Uh, just because I think it's just such a, a weird up in the air kind of weak draft where there's there's guys that are really good at some things, but really horrendous at others. And, you know, guys with so many question marks, particularly with shooting. I mean, I feel like this is one of the one of the weaker shooting drafts in a while, at least at the top, you know, of pretty much all these guys. It's like, yes, he's supremely talented, but can he shoot the ball? And we don't know the answer because uh, Anthony Edwards struggled shooting the three. Uh, Lamelo Ball certainly has his form and function issues as far as his his three pointers concerned. Um, you know, Killian shot. You know, he he heated up towards the end of the year, but he shot sub thirty percent from three over the course of the whole year. Um, then you got the bigs like Okongwu, Wiseman that don't project to be you know plus shooters at, at all in the NBA. Maybe not even shooters at all, even for mid range too much. Um, I, I don't know. Do you think that this is like easily probably the most between the circumstances of the top two teams and the sort of parity and talent all the way through the top seven, eight, nine, ten, whatever picks? Do you think this is one of the more up in the air drafts, like probably since 2013? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that that's why we're hearing that everyone wants to trade back. I think that uh, in a draft where, you know, usually the first pick or the first two picks carries immensely so much more value than the picks directly following them. But that's not the case this year, obviously. I think uh, reasonably, you could probably have like five, six guys as your number one overall prospect in this draft. I know going through the SB Nation team sites, we're building a draft app that's going to you know, have all the team site coverage in it and all the mock draft in there. And I was looking through our Timberwolves site and Coro is their number one overall player. So uh, that's not something that's like a consensus opinion. But, uh, you know, they made a pretty convincing argument for Coro on their big board. And I, I think that just goes to show you how many different players you could theoretically have number one. And when that's the case, I think that uh, basically everyone wants to trade down. And that's what you've seen so far in this draft. So, yeah, I think that if Minnesota or the Warriors could hypothetically deal their pick for a proven veteran, especially the Warriors, to help them win next year, it seems like a no-brainer, right? But then you got to find the team that wants to do that. Like, you know, Bradley Beal is one guy who I think everyone has sort of earmarked to move in the near future. But, 
you know, will the second pick get you Bradley Beal this year? Of course, there's also uh, salary cap complications and all that. So, uh, I don't know. I think that uh, this is a weaker draft. It's totally wide open at the top. I remember in 2013 when we were covering the draft at SB Nation, we prepped articles for six guys going number one overall and did not prep one for Anthony Bennett when he went. So uh, I don't think that this draft is quite as wide open as that one. I mean, coming into that one, we were talking about Alex Len possibly being the consensus number one guy. Uh, for whatever reason, Oladipo, who went number two, wasn't really being talked about as a number one guy back then. Uh, but there was a lot of hype around Alex Len and Nerlens Noel and a few other guys in that draft. And of course... Uh, maybe the best player of this generation, Giannis, goes in the middle of the first round of that draft. So you never know in the draft. I think that you have to uh, you have to be flexible, like I said earlier. And uh, you know this this really could be the type of draft where the value play is in moving up when everyone wants to move down. You know, it's something for each team to assess and assess quickly as the board starts to break. All right, and that is all for today with Ricky O'Donnell of SB Nation. But we have another great episode coming up for you guys with Ricky. Uh, in the middle of our giant unending mailbags, I don't think we've forgotten about that. We're going to keep all the mailbag questions coming and mailbag episodes coming here in the next week or two. Uh, but we finish up our conversation with Ricky in our next episode with him uh, talking about potential of trading back for the Knicks whether it's more advantageous to trade up or trade down for them in this year's draft, which Ricky actually has a pretty interesting and thoughtful answer about. We talk about some of his favorite players that the Knicks could potentially take around 27 and 38 and sort of pick his brain about one player that he thinks uh, that he's higher on than most of the consensus in this year's draft. Also ask him which player he thinks might leave teams kicking themselves in a couple years that they didn't take higher in this draft. And then finally end off by asking if the Knicks have enough ammunition to potentially trade back into the middle of the first round using their 27th and 38th overall picks, plus the cash allotment that the NBA always gives teams to trade at draft time. So that's going to be on the next edition of Locked on Knicks with Ricky O'Donnell.